Welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing all right. How quarantined, quarantined, isolated. I am very, very well indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It actually occurred to me today that I'm doing all the things I should have been doing in my life before the pandemic. <laughs> Filing invoices on time, actually calling my mum, <laughs> cooking for myself, <laughs> taking regular exercise, getting proper sleep, taking my multivitamins. This is how a normal it's human changed being- changed you. It's reset me. It's what a normal human being should be doing with their lives. Like, why should it have taken this for this? It's absolutely absurd. But there you go. Yeah. I'm wow. Good. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm very jealous. I can't sleep well at the moment. It's really annoying me. Really? Have you watched it? What have you watched since we last spoke? Anything fun? Uh, yeah. Ajax by Munich. Second leg. Oh, God, you're such a nerd. Well, it's, it's true. It's like, that's actually true. There are other things, Musa. Apart from what? Apart from football. No, no, there aren't. Name one. Name one thing apart from football. Exactly. Exactly. You see, you see, <laughs> had to hesitate. Look, also, there's this incredible cat video, the cats and dominoes. Have you seen it? No. <laughs> so there's some very good cat content out there. I've been watching some cat content as well. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I watched Love is Blind, which is single-handedly the kind of most amazing slash awful tv show i've ever seen in my life what's it actually about oh man i don't even want to go into it it's so bad but i thought i had no game until i watched this tv show oh my gosh and i realized i wasn't the bottom of the barrel oh my goodness <laughs> wow it's quite a- encouraging it's actually quite good for morale <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get into the podcast a little bit of admin and if you listen to us on apple podcasts a rating and a review would really help. Helps us grow the podcast. It does help us grow the podcast. Yeah. And uh, if you want to get in touch, you can get in touch via the website, stadio.football. There's an email form there. You can follow us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Any more admin we need to do? Uh, no fault mob at the moment, unfortunately. No. But if you so- haven't downloaded the app, go and do it anyway. Absolutely. Because they're good people. Very good people. So yeah, no five to follow at the moment. I just want one to follow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, let's go on to today. So we thought we would start doing some fun stuff. This is going to be the first of many, I think. I think we're going to do a few of these. Yeah, right? we should roll them out. It should be fun. So basically, what ifs? So taking various scenarios through football history and what if that didn't happen or what if something else did happen? And we put a Instead of questions for this one, we, we, we asked people for their suggestions and we got some unbelievable ones and a huge amount as well. This is the biggest response I think we've ever had to a single question on Stadio. I think, I think so, yeah. Yeah. There were like yeah. 50, 55, 56. Yeah. Have you got any to start? I do, actually. Do you want to start then? <sighs> what if England never actually played Paul Scholes on the left and actually built the team around him? So Michael Carrick was playing as a defensive mid and they just let, they actually like, built a proper England team what if that they still probably would have gone out in the quarterfinals of some tournaments no matter yeah. who, they're, no matter who they're. <laughs> probably probably the other one was and this is a bit cheesy as well mm. what if Paul Gascon actually scored that goal in 96 at the far post against Germany in the semi-final oh see I think England would have won that tournament that's what I think and I think that would have had it would have changed things not for the whole of English football but for that generation of footballers mm. You know, if they'd won the um, European Championship in 1996, 
the confidence it would have given them for the next two years going towards the World Cup would have been incredible for English football, for those, those big clubs, for those players' careers. It would have been the monkey off their backs. It would have just been this catharsis for all those players. Yeah. And they could have played with so much more freedom. So that, for me, was the big what if, I would have thought. That is a big what if. And it was so close, wasn't it? It was so, I mean, he was literally just like, he, he didn't anticipate the flight. If you, all of those have seen that miss, he basically didn't get his stride pattern right. Because it went and under also his, it was, he was bloody knackered. And it went under his boot though, didn't it? It just went under, yeah. it's just one of those things. It just goes, you know. Well, that's a good shout, man. I mean, actually, mine was taken by a question, so I'm just going to shout so, out there. So is one of mine as well, actually. Really? Yeah. The Diaby one. Yeah, but the Diaby one's been done though. Like, actually, yeah. I was talking to Callum Jacobs and Caracom about this and I threw that out there as an example, but I wasn't actually suggesting that we talk about that because it's a lot, it's a big, big what if. The Arsenal one that I, wanted, I was thinking of though was what if Arsenal had signed Yaya Torre? Oh my goodness. Yeah, because his brother was, everyone was going, it was so funny that conversation. Well, he played, because- he played for Arsenal. Like Yaya Torre played for Arsenal in a friendly. But the funny thing was, everyone was going at the time. I remember a lot of the chat was, oh, he's just trying to offload his brother. Like a lot of it was that. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it was like, and he was like, no, my brother's even better than me. And everyone was like, that's not possible. Because like, everyone was like, how can your brother be better than you? Your colo, that's impossible. Yeah, but I remember at the time when Yaya's name first started coming up, I remember the narrative being that he is the better brother, basically. Yeah, I remember hearing that. And I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, yeah. that's not possible. Like I couldn't imagine from a footballing family that there was someone, because c- people forget, I mean, you don't forget, but, Colo Ture was absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, you've got to think this is what, 2004 or five? He was amazing. It was 2003 he had the trial with Arsenal. Yeah, but you know, he took a, it took him a while to get going, uh, Yaya Ture, in terms of the clubs he should have been at, given his talent. And th- that maybe speaks for, for a player of that quality. It says a lot about, I hate to say it, how African players are maybe regarded. Because look at his skill set and look how long it took him to actually be acknowledged. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, well, I'm just, I just, I mean, this is really standard, but I just got a, the paragraph in the Wikipedia page about it, mm. um, about Torre's trial with Arsenal. And he played in, in a friendly against Barnet, playing as a second striker and then moving up front in the second half. Wow. And he said, Arsene Wenger recognised his talent but could not decide on his best position and described his performance against Barnet as completely average. Match finished nil nil, and the BBC Sport website said that Torre blotted his copybook by missing Arsenal's clearest chance of the game, heading across from oh Quincy Awusua Bay. Oh my goodness! Oh, lovely, lovely shout. Uh, heading it wide, Wenger was keen to sign the twenty-year-old. Twenty years old he was at the time, but there was difficulties re- receiving a work permit, and then Torre grew impatient and opted to sign for Ukrainian side Metalodonets. Bizarre. And then after Donetsk, he went to Olympiakos. But then you go, I mean, Patrick Vieira as well. Patrick Vieira was lurking around at Cannes and on the fringes of Milan. It is so scary to think, isn't it? Like how many great footballers, like you look at that and your Torre's path and the career he's had since. Doesn't that make you think how many outstanding footballers just don't get the nod? Mm. Like a huge, huge, huge number never get there. So this what if thing is so profound because, I mean, we've always said this, if Thierry Henry wasn't plucked out of Juventus by Wenger at that point in his career. Yeah. He could have ended up like Martial. Mm. Like really, do you know what I mean? Like he would have been really, really good. But like, you know, there's, we all know there's like 30% of Martial we're just never going to see because of how he's been developed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. I mean, we may, we may do, but it's part of me that thinks it might take a move to really unlock him. 
I've always felt that. I've always felt that. With the Torre thing. So I, I always forget he was only at Barcelona for three years. Yeah, it's wild. And then obviously moved to Manchester City, which is a nice segue onto our next what if. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this one's from Dan Burt. Shouts to Dan at Fussball Dan on Twitter. So Dan's a City fan. Yeah. He said, what if Aguero had missed against QPR on the final day of the 2012 season? This was what I was thinking about, actually. Okay, that changes the whole of English football. Do you know why? Because United win the title. Ferguson retires, yeah. And United get Guardiola. I think that changes everything because don't think he was... Don't forget that whole period. They were in New York meeting Guardiola and the conversation was going on and they had the whole axis still there. I think that if, if United win that title, Ferguson leaves and Guardiola comes in. I think that's very likely, actually. Because, that, because anyone who's read Pep Confidential, there's that amazing bit in there where Guardiola's at Old Trafford. And was it when Barcelona played Man United? Yeah, it was in Champions League, right? Yeah. And um, apparently he looks around and he says to, I can't remember who it is now, so I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I can see myself managing here one day. Yeah. I think that changes everything because people look at City and Pep and they go, oh, Pep just went for the money. But actually, him going to City was counterintuitive because, and, you know, he went to Bayern before. He'd been to established teams which had records of winning. Yeah. Established records of winning, you know, and he wasn't afraid. Guardiola was not afraid of going to clubs where the boards of directors were largely staffed by former champions on the pitch. He had mm-hmm. done that at Bayern. He'd done that at Barca, right? So he was accustomed to that. To go to United would have been the kind of conservative, the safe choice, the money bags, the rich club, the pundits who are ex-players. He went to City and that was actually quite bold. Even though he was going to get the money, it was a bold move, I think. And he maybe doesn't get the credit for that, that he deserves in terms of a career choice, um, a slightly braver choice. I think, you know, like, I get why he doesn't get the praise for that. That's fine. And it's not like Guardiola needs any more accolades because he is Guardiola and he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, but I think that if United had won that title, if Aguero had missed, then he would have been the front runner for that job. And English football would have been different. United's fortunes would have been different because he would have carried on winning with United, I think. Because Guardiola's name, with that name, he could have brought Thiago. Mm. You know, if, he, if he'd gone to Barcelona, if he'd gone to United, all of a sudden, all these players in Europe, they flock to follow Pep. And Manchester looks completely different. Yeah, I agree. I really agree. And I actually think that, if you remember United's squad set up at the time, and the players that he could have probably brought in if he'd gone there. So actually, the thing with Pep is, sorry to jump in again, he isn't really one like, you know, someone like Mourinho. Mourinho used to love bringing players from his old clubs, his mm. old nucleus. Guardiola wasn't really like that. He wasn't someone who would go and be like, okay, here's who I won with at Bayern. Let me bring the new people along. He would have gone to United. And I'm almost interested to see who he would have developed. Because, you know, he went to a city and Pep always does two things. Whenever he goes to a new club, he does generally one or two things that absolutely nobody else would suspect. So for example, he goes to Bayern and turns Philip Lahm into defence midfielder, which no one else saw coming, right? He goes to City. The first thing he goes is gets really excited about Fernandinho. And we were like, uh, uh, yeah, we saw that as well, which we didn't really. And then he goes and turns David Silva into a number eight. And we're mm. like, that's never going to work. David Silva. And it, it's mind blowing. Mm. So I'm just, I'm just fascinated to see who he would have gone to United, looked at and been like, oh, actually, Juan Mata is a defensive midfielder or something like that. You know, he would have done something like that. 
Do you know whose career I think would look very, very different? Oh, I'm interested. Ravel Morrison. Oh, yes. He would have become, yeah, Ravel Morrison would have become a kind of Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling. He would have been the young guy that Pep was like, this kid's the one. And at that time, I mean, if you think about it, what was that, 2012, Morrison would have been 18, 19 then. When did he win the Youth Cup? Was it 2011 they won the Youth Cup? I'm not against sure, Liverpool. I'm not sure. And he was basically head and shoulders against the rest. I think it was 2011. It might have been 2012. But anyway, that, at that point, in, in that point in Ravel Morrison's career, if Pep had gone to United, this is kind of like that Alex Ferguson, Paul Gascoigne thing we spoke about once. Yeah, if you meet the right manager at a certain point of your mm-hmm. career. Like if Aguero hadn't scored that goal, I think the knock-on for the next decade of English football and probably European football actually would be massively different. Because if you think Manchester United were only, what, four years? That was four years after they won the European Cup last time, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not a long time. Not at all. And that's a lot of institutional memory that's still at the club. Actually, and you know, here's the thing as well. Guardiola would have got ex-players involved at a coaching level in some form. He would have used that institutional memory. He would have got people like Scholes in doing certain things and he would have had very specific roles for them, I think. So actually, let's think of, right, this, do you know what? We could do a whole episode on this one goal. Can I actually, can I actually also do this as well? Can I just give a shout out to Kunle Ojeo? Because I think Kunle wrote something about this, um, who's a listener of ours. He mentioned butterfly effects in football. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Kunle, shout out to Kunle. (laughs) So, so funny because he mentioned butterfly effects on Twitter. And the more I think about it, he was like, why don't you guys talk about butterfly effects? And I'm like, oh my goodness, actually this is, this goal is really the definitive butterfly effect, I yeah. think. In- because I think it goes, I think it's, it's, it goes so wide and so deep, right? Yeah. So you have all of the stuff at United. You then have Pep go into the United at the point when City are really starting to ramp up the spending. Yeah. Van Persie doesn't leave Arsenal. No, he doesn't. Wow. And that's still Van Persie. He's still got one more year in him. As and, he was, and he won the golden boot. Yeah, he's a beast. He's still a beast when he leaves Arsenal. Uh-huh. So you then have Van Persie still at his kind of peak, staying at Arsenal. But then when Mourinho comes back to Chelsea, Pep's at United. Ooh. Do you know what? That Aguero goal is everything. And someone actually said, one of the questions is, what happens if Balotelli takes a shot instead of I know. Um, laying yeah. off? But here's the funny thing. You know, here's the weird, here's the weird thing about that. I love Balotelli because when the moment really, really counts, he delivers. Like, there's no way, it's funny because that what if question, I was thinking, but there's no way, if you replay that moment a thousand times, there's no way Balotelli shoots. Because mm. Balotelli is like, despite all the joking, Balotelli, there was a part of him who was like, this is serious. Yeah. Balotelli's like the kid that basically comes top in every exam despite revising. And then it comes to his uni exams, you're like, oh, Balotelli's going to flunk because he never works. And he gets in there and absolutely nukes it. <laughs> and that is like Balotelli's greatest exam. Like there's no way in history Balotelli never passes that to Aguero, I think. This one from Dan moves on to another one that we've got yeah. from Sana Qureshi. Amazing question, by the way. Thanks, Dan. Amazing. Yeah, cheers, yeah. Dan. Yeah. Dan, he, what, he's at one football, Dan, in Berlin. Oh, awesome. Round the corner. So Sana Qureshi said, this is kind of related because she says, also, what if David Moyes had said no to United? So David Moyes doesn't get the United job and stays at Everton. Oh my God, that's a blessing if that happens. Yeah. I think if, so if that doesn't happen, if, if he says no to United, then Ferguson has to go back for someone else. Well, no, Pep's already there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Discuss, like, so, yeah, so Pep's there. Moyes doesn't go to United. Yeah. Sunderland stay up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Real Sociedad never hire him in the first place. And Everton 
carry on doing, I mean, fairly well being Everton. And actually, maybe they get someone like a Simeone type player, a manager later. Maybe they get someone more in the mould of a, you know, Everton, not quite school of science, of counter-attacking, defensively solid. Moyes just carries on for a few more years and they hand over to someone more in the Moyes mould. Oh, this is so fun, man. It's amazing. Oh my God, we've created football. You know, we're like, we're like, we're like the Marvel universe where you go to different timelines, <laughs> alternate timelines. That's another thing. Like, Moist United wouldn't happen if Aguero had missed, I don't think. Every, everything changes. On that miss, everything changes. Man. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Yeah, really. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. All right, we're back from the break and we've got one from Mina Banashuk. What if women's football was as respected, paid and watched as men's? Oh my God, I'd be laughing. I'd be the happiest man. Can you imagine? I'd be watching Wolfsburg women playing to crowds of 60,000 and because I'm trying to ingratiate myself with that administration, um, I'd be watching like games all over Europe in like huge stadiums, watch them get the attention they deserve. So if women's football had been able to grow at the same rate as men's, I do wonder how different society might be. On Dude, it would be, like, be like the tennis, it would be like the Olympics. Everyone would, it would just be completely, here's the thing, like we already have an idea of what it would look like. It would look like the Olympics. People watch the Olympics. People watch the Grand Slam tennis, right? They watch all of that stuff. They watch the Solheim Cup to an extent. If it had grown at the same rate, it would just be, it would be so much more fun. But what I'm saying is that I think that football is a little bit different to those sports in the sense that it is the most popular sport in the world, right? And you see so much of what goes on in football affecting yeah. like societal discourse. I just wonder if women's football had been as high profile as men's yeah, and as well paid as men's, maybe in terms of financial discrepancies within the men's game might not be as huge because the money might be a little bit more balanced between the men's and women's clubs. If women's football was at the same, basically exactly the same as men's, in like Mina's question. Yeah. I can't see a scenario that isn't a positive one. Though. Well, it'd be look how this is the impact on society. You'd have like we'd have had several more women leading countries by now. We'd have had women managing men's football teams at all levels, like international. T- yeah, international because people have got used to the idea. Of, look at the NBA, for example. Look at the pundits. You the NBA is a great example of like you'll have a. It's completely normal to have a panel of all women pundits discussing a big NBA game. You'd have that in men's football, and so. The leadership of women at all levels, boardroom, um, unions, which you already have to an extent, you know, just across society, authority figures, the whole thing would look different. So you'd have like just across the board representation because football would like, you know, reflect society, inspire society, drive society. I just think it would be, we'd have a different universe, I think. Yeah. I I, I really think it could be that big. Because women would have been so much more prominent in the world's biggest game, then the entire nature of workers' rights would look different. The entire nature. Because all of a sudden, the discourse would not be about a male player going away and the woman basically like doing a lot of this child care, taking care of the admin. It would have been this much more balanced thing of, wait a minute. Like, so the whole nature of workers' rights, I think, would look different because football would inspire that because everyone wants... 
a woman to perform at the optimal level, right? So they'd be like, okay, how can we enable that? And so all these conversations about childcare mm-hmm. would look different. Like the entire, you know what I mean? Like it would all look different. And I think what we'd also have is we'd have things like, we would have tournaments where you'd have like integrated high profile tournaments, like women, men's team, like mixed gender teams. Do you know what I mean? You'd have all of that. And even the conversation about sexuality. Yeah, that's and really com- interesting, actually. Having, yeah. I wonder if you'd have integrated yeah. teams by now. Why not? Well, in certain tournaments. I, I can imagine situations where, let's say, let's say, for example, the Olympics, where people were like, okay, the Brazil team is going to be a mixed gender team. That would have meant, by default, a more progressive outcome because you'd have to accommodate concerns you hadn't thought about. Like a lot of the things that women have to deal with as footballers it's things that men haven't even thought about because there's no diversity at that level, right? Mm. At the board level. But if you're suddenly incorporating all of those different things like lifestyles, gender considerations into the mix, there's all this stuff that men are like, oh my God, we never thought of that. And women are like, yeah, we've been telling you. Like the entire picture. And even like the conversation about sexuality in sport would be completely different. Yeah, I think you'd have a lot more openly gay football, like male footballers. Absolutely, absolutely you would. I just think that would be a complete game changer because you'd have, you'd have a manager, um, women managing teams and the woman would have a partner and she'd be like, yeah, we've got like gay men, this is the conversation that needs to come out and all of a sudden people be like, oh my goodness, this is a complete non-issue. I think that would be a complete game changer for sexuality. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really interesting when you kind of think about that, like one small moment and how it could you know, yeah, the, the ripple, ripple effect of it through. Yeah, the ripple it's, effect, It's yeah. just, you could go on all day about that. Thanks, Mina. There you go. Yeah, How's there that? you go, Mina. <laughs> <laughs> all right, one from Miles Herbert. What if Ghana had made it to the Dream 2010 World Cup semi-final? Oh, wow. And there was another one. I can't remember who it was from. Sorry, but there, was, there were a few people talking about the Suarez handball. I'm not sure if Ghana go to the final, though. It was Germany, Spain. Yeah. In Uruguay, Netherlands. Yeah. I don't think that Ghana beat the Netherlands. Yeah, I don't think they get to the final. They don't, they don't. But people talk about major tournaments. They forget that each round is exponentially harder. The last 16 in the quarters, huge difference. Quarters and semis, another enormous difference. Enormous difference. And the semis in the final. This is why when Germany wins 7-1 in the semi-final of the 2014 World Cup, everybody knew the final was not going to be a walkover. Mm. Because you reset, you adjust. You know, going through a major football tournament is like climbing a mountain, right? Yeah. And when you hit the semis, you hit altitude. And I think Ghana would have run out of air. I think there was just too much emotion behind that team. And here's the thing as well. Let's actually track back to this. Michael Essien was missing. Michael Essien was missing the entire tournament and Ghana still went to the semis. If you'd had a Michael Essien in that squad, then maybe I say Ghana, go and do the thing, get to the final. That's how mm. good they were, but they needed the extra impetus of an Essien there. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I think it would have been really good for African football on the whole. Amazing. Obviously, I yeah. mean, obviously it would have because they would have got one step further. But yeah. I don't think they make the final. All right, we've got one from Kirsten Schlavitz. <laughs> there she is. Hey, listen, Kirsten this is amazing. Was up- by the way, Kirsten was upset. Before you go any further, Kirsten was upset. I didn't mention uh, the Red Star players. Let me just say that on the record, Dejan Savicevic is one of my heroes. As is Prozanetsky. Stop playing up to her, man. No, like, no, because it's real talk. Because Kirsten people knows. Kirsten knows. She's in Belgrade, isn't it? So she's such a... Ultra, let's go, 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 go. Let's go. Uh, this is a really, really good question. What if Yugoslavia was still a country? Oh, wow. Okay, okay. Do you know what? Because there's some glory and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Because if Yugoslavia is still a country, the conflict might still happen. 
and Yugoslavia probably win one major trophy. And here's the thing, the winners of that, they can't really celebrate back in their own countries because it's still divided by conflict. And so what it does is, I think this really weird thing happens where Yugoslavia win at least one national title, let's say maybe a Euros, and the players get, the players resent how much their success is being used by nationalist leaders back home to stoke conflict. So the team stays together and keeps winning as an example to people back home saying, this is what we look like when we're united. Because I don't think that football removes those ethnic conflicts overnight. What it says is, despite evidence to the contrary, despite the conflict happening in our home country, which I think would happen at some level because that thing was just being stoked for too long, the players, the national team go, listen, we may be divided off the field, but we're united on it. And all those players on the field go on and do incredible things for their clubs and their countries. I think that it's just incredible. There's almost kind of weird thing of like football as an exile, if that makes sense. I think that happens. I'm going to assume that in this scenario, Yugoslavia stays peaceful. I don't think that happens. Yeah, but I'm just doing it for theoretical. Okay, fine, fine. I think Kirsten's asking this in a footballed sense, obviously. So here's the thing, and this is my honest view, right? If Yugoslavia is still a country, there's still wild ethnic tension, right? So there's still like these surges, because the Balkans are just like, they've been boiling for so long. But I think that football has this weird thing where it's going to kind of like act as a stabilizing force like there'll still be tension there'll still be like outbreaks of something but i think that the footballers actually will have this really interesting role in kind of pulling it back to the center if that makes sense i mean if you think about it from the football point of view in the last few years though the kind of squad that they could have put together of course i'm not don't don't get me wrong i mean imagine imagine if you had jeko and manzukic playing up front Dude. You had Jan Oblak in goal. You have Adam Halilovic hitting his level. You have Adam Ljajic. Ljajic, basically, you have all these players, the kind of like the young Cruyffs, all Jovic, these players. Jovic, you can look at yeah. Jovic up front now. Do you know what? We should do a Yugoslavian current squad. Like, should we do oh. it on a podcast soon? Oh my goodness, please. We have to do, because here's the thing. What's really exciting as well. Let's also factor in this. The fact they all, all have been mentored yeah. by, by like, They'll be mentored by the great Red Star coach, Petrovic. They'll be mentored by all these people. Mm-hmm. And all this institutional memory gets held together. Like, I think that Yugoslavia stayed together as a country. See how, like, rugby did all that for, you know, post-apartheid, you had all those rugby successes. Mm-hmm. All those amazing successes. They won the World Cup uh, rugby. They won the um, African Nations Cup. And I actually had the chat, I had the privilege, here's a bit of a name drop, to speak to Lucas Radebe in 2011. And I said, look, what did, what did football, what did football do for South Africa post-apartheid? He said, he was like, it, unreal. He was like, people really don't realise the country could have gone either way post-apartheid. There's all this uncertainty. The fact that we had those successes back to back, he said, it's wild. Look what we did. We won the African Nations in 95. We won the like, uh, was it 95 or 96? I think it was the uh, African Nations Cup for football. We won the Rugby World Cup. He just said, you can't. Because he said, football does, sport doesn't heal society, he said, but it holds things together. Mm. So I think this is the thing. Those players, I mean, Dragon Stojkovic, we, who even talks, Stojkovic was out of this world. If anyone goes, what's about Dragon Stojkovic? Yugoslavia beats Spain in the World Cup um, and Stojkovic scores twice, a free kick and this beautiful goal where he basically sell, he sells a dummy. The centre-back slides past on his backside. I'm thinking, yeah, Stojkovic, Prozanetsky, Savicevic, all in the same midfield. And those players would have mentored Modric. They mm. would have mentored Mandzukic. The one that I find yeah. more in, the most interesting or intriguing about this, though, is the cost of an influence. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You'd have Zlatko Zajevic. Mm. 
Zlatko Zajevic as well, Slovenia. You'd have the Slovenian. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Jan Oblak, like I said, Jan Oblak in goal. You know, and it's like. <laughs> also, also, shout out, shout out, Perica Onjenovic, who went to Real Madrid mm-hmm. and disappeared. He was the red star. Anyone that knows Perica Onjenovic, this guy was like the, the jewel. He was like a sort of young Savicevic, went to Real Madrid, disappeared without a trace. If Yugoslavia had been a really big team and held together, he could have projected from there. He could have played really well for them, maybe got a big move somewhere. Do you know what I mean? There, there were so many players whose careers were waylaid mm. by that conflict. Yeah. Boban. Yeah. Svonimir Boban. I yeah. mean, look, we've, we, here's the thing. Yugoslavia could have won a World Cup. Dude, if, uh, no, if, no, no, no. I don't think this is even debatable. I, if think Croatia, that if, 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 I think if Yugoslavia was still together as a nation over the last 20 years, they would have won. I think they. I think you could have seen them potentially dominate in the way that Spain dominated, like back to back Euros in the World Cup. I was, yeah. I, and, I, and I and I don't even think that's a what. I don't think that's a wildly hot take. It's not I even just, a big shout. No, it's no, not. You're completely it's, right. It, it's not that. It's not that clever, not that and it's not that deep. It's just the region produced so many incredible footballers over the last 20, 25 years. If they'd all been playing together, I don't think it was even in doubt. And I think the kind of football that they played as well, I think it would have been revolutionary. It could have changed football history, I think. I, I wonder if, you know, at the point where obviously the kind of Spain and Spanish influence was, was becoming global and everyone was kind of adopting this. I genuinely believe that they, with the amount of talent and kind of expertise there are from that region, I think you could have had a almost like a counter approach or, or maybe even a, some of the major tactical shifts over the last 25 oh years God. would have come out of Yugoslavia. Do you know what we would have seen? Can I, here's a, here's a theory what we'd have seen. We would have seen like defense midfielders, like, you know, like we'd had a back four and two players from the back four, both of whom could have dribbled it out from deep. Like, you know, like Prozinetsky and Boban were just mm-hmm. players that could beat you from deep and they would get like, you look at those, that red star semifinals watch of the day and Effenberg and Prozanetsky were like mirror images of each other, getting the ball and going off the keeper and weaving through defence, through attack. You would have had highly technical players. In fact, you, you would have had, let me just recap this. We would have had the closest thing to the Dutch ideal of total football, but refracted through a Yugoslavian lens. Like we've had a, like a Renus Mikels type, but with a take on, does that make sense? Mm. Like with players able to take individual responsibility at a highly technical level, as well as execute as part of a dream plan. It's the kind of thing that basically Louis van Gaal would have looked at and said, Yugoslavia is what I was trying to achieve with Ajax mm. on, on a national level. Yeah. Oh my God. And also here's, a well, here's the thing as well. One more thing I'll throw in. If Yugoslavia had basically become what they were meant to become, Johan Cruyff becomes a consultant in that country at some point. You know he does. Because he goes off to Mexico. Don't forget, Cruyff goes off to Mexico, right? But I think if Yugoslavia become Yugoslavia, I think he stays closer to home. I think he hangs around in Europe and like goes, oh, actually, let me come and do some. Uh... So anyway, that's just throwing that to the mix as a hypothetical. We've lost him. We've lost him, ladies and gentlemen. He's gone. <laughs> uh, all right, let's have a couple of quick ones before we go. Yeah. Uh, one from Jenny Wu. What if Thomas Rosicki becomes the world's greatest footballer? Basically, he already is. Everything is okay. That's the short answer for that. I think if Thomas Rosicki becomes the world's greatest footballer, we'd all be all right by now. Sorry, is he not already the world's greatest footballer? Stop it. Sorry, this is a trick question from Jenny. Stop doing Thanks. the most. I'm always doing the most. One from Greg Johnson. Well, I think I've kind of put my answer for this forward. He said, who is the greatest what-if talent to slip through the net who should have become a world beater by 2020? This goes back to the pet moving to United thing and I think it's Ravel Morrison. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Ravel Morrison had his own issues, unfortunately, for those who know more about his history um, and what he went through. But yeah, Ravel Morrison... I suppose Morrison the could... other one is Jack Wilshire. 
from an Arsenal point of view. Yeah, we got to see Wilshire, but not the full Wilshire. Um, well, the, the, the injuries just ruined him. Yeah, that's right. Somebody, let me think, a world-class talent who we never saw, fully saw the best of. Um, it's hard to think because a lot of those players I could think of, they at least got, we saw some element of their genius. We saw, mm. You tell me, we, we got to see at least some element of what they could become. Um, so yeah, no one immediately springs to mind for me. Uh, All right. yeah. Let's move on to one quick one before we leave. Yeah. Um, from Daniel Tatarski. What if Johan Cruyff had been born in England? Can you provide a utopian outcome and a dystopian one, please? Yes. Utopian. So first of all, I think he plays for Everton because he's a contrarian. And he basically brings back the Everton school of like Harry Ketterick and Everton win league titles, get back into the Champions League and win the Champions League. That's a utopian. And then he carries on and becomes either an England coach or an Everton manager. And they get so really is this good. your utopian one? Because I'm yeah, going to go. For, they, I'll take the dystopian. And angle they get then. well. I've got and they get. I've got a dystopian one as well, which I'll be very quick with. And they basically he basically becomes he basically gets the Everton commercial marketing department to do what Liverpool should have done because Johan Cruyff was really commercially savvy, and he gets Everton to be sold as a huge brand in Asia because he spots the emerging market there. Um. So I think that that's what he does, and I think he brings back Gary Lineker in some kind of ambassadorial role. So Everton basically become like a a global superpower in football. The dystopian version is basically Glenn Hoddle's career. So Johan Cruyff is, ba- we've had our Johan Cruyff. He was called Glenn Hoddle and we didn't understand him because unfortunately English football would look at a piece. Basically we look at, if we had a Johan Cruyff, which we did call Glenn Hoddle, we look at like a piece of alien technology going, we've got no use for that. So we play him minimal times for, uh, the, for the national team. We don't really get his right role. We don't see what he's about. We see him coaching really well. We undermine him and we don't really use his institutional knowledge. So yeah, the dystopian version of Johan Cruyff is actually Glenn Hoddle. I'm not convinced he becomes a footballer if he's born in England. Because I I mean, a lot of it would depend on where and you're assuming that everything is the same maybe, but so much of his upbringing was solely down to being born in Amsterdam and being born so close to Ajax that I mean, it's a kind of a boring answer, but I, well, I put it this way. Okay, so we we're talking about the ripple effect of the Aguero goal before. Maybe Barcelona never win that European Cup. Maybe La Masia never gets overhauled. Maybe Ajax never win the, the three in a row. Yeah, it changes everything. Maybe there's no Pep. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, Terry, maybe Terry Venables stays at Barcelona. <laughs> no, you're right. If, if Cruyff, basically, Cruyff, you know, this is actually the mark. And this is the funny thing, actually, as we begin to conclude this podcast, what I'm realizing from the what ifs, what ifs have taught me something about greatness. The mark of your greatness is your ripple effect. It's the size of a ripple effect. Not the universe, you know, the ripple effect in the universe or whatever, the Doppler effect. Like the size of your greatness is the echo you leave throughout history, right? And that is not about your titles. That's why Bielsa, everyone talks about Bielsa and everyone's like, why Bielsa? Because Bielsa echoes, right? Mm. The size of your genius is the size of your echo. And Cruyff echoes through time, right? Guardiola echoes through time. And this is the question, really. People talk about greatness and Messi and Ronaldo. It's like, who echoes? And Cruyff being born in a different country changes the entire nature, the entire nature, the entire foundation, the entire structure, in a way that a lot of managers don't. A lot of managers who've won more than Renus Mikels don't affect things. Like I've said this before. I was, I was talking to a friend. I said, I'm writing a short story about time travel. And my theory actually was, because some of go, oh my God, if I go back in time, everything's different. I said, no, actually, no. 
I don't think it would be. Look, there are some people who don't affect history. There are people who basically like they live and they die and they don't inspire anyone. They don't take any risks. They don't say anything controversial. Keep their heads down. Those people, no offense to them, they're not really missed. They, just, they live and they die and they do the thing. But they, don't, they don't ever speak out. And I'm being quite harsh on that, but I mean, they don't ever speak out. They don't ever really help anyone else. They go out for themselves. And they don't do anything. But when people die, like Cruyff did, the reason there's such a, a period of mourning is not because people miss Cruyff. It's because they miss how he resonated and who he touched. Does that make sense? So yes, that's why I think, sure. I, think, I think your answer is amazing because your answer acknowledges that it's, and this is maybe tying it back to what's happening now, like politically, this whole thing with this, you know, this virus, like it's bigger than us. Like mm. this thing about greatness, greatness, it's, it's bigger than you. Like Aguero's goal was bigger than Aguero. Like what it did, what it created, what it prevented was much, much bigger than any of us envisaged. So yeah, that's um, how I see it. That was fun, man. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot more fun than the topic we were going to discuss, but we decided against. So yeah, thanks everyone. We're going to talk <laughs> about Moose's Tinder dates, what ifs. <laughs> oh my God. We'll save that for next week. <laughs> <laughs> what if I'd swiped left? The biggest echoes, the biggest echoes through time and space. <laughs> no one has left a smaller echo on Tinder. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, dev- devastating. <laughs> Am I allowed to keep uh, that in? <laughs> yeah, keep it in, keep it in, go on, keep it in. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who submitted what ifs. We're going to do another one of these. So if we did miss yours, feel free to resubmit it because we got a lot. And um, yeah, sorry we couldn't get through all of them. They were unbelievable. Yeah, unreal. I hope you're all doing all right, wherever you are. Yeah. And we hope you're safe and we hope you're healthy. And we're going to be back on Monday. One quick tip, by the way, for those who are like at home, quarantine, self-isolating, please hydrate. One thing I'm realizing sitting at home is like the amount of water you have to drink. (laughs) So yeah, keep hydrating, kids. Stay hydrated. Keep hydrating, washing your hands. Yeah. And... We'll be back on Monday. We will. We think we've got a theme for this one, right? Yeah. It's going to be fun. A lot of fun. We're going to get so silly in the next few weeks. <laughs> People are going to be like, what the hell are they talking about now? <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and a review. It really helps us grow the podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at Stadio, you're Okwanga. That's right. I'm Ryan Hun on Twitter. Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football yep. is the website. Yep. Yeah, stay safe, wash your hands. We'll be back Monday. Oh, we're playing out with uh, Anna Domino, Trust in Love, and kind of goes into your piece that yeah. you wrote for the website, Football Love and Trust. Go check it out, and we'll be back on Monday. See you soon.
taking the place of my trust in the 